In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. On today's Keeping It Real, it will be about the ladies. That is what determines the core, that essence of a real woman of noble character. In this day of gross distortions of gender identity and in how women have been devalued in all kinds of ways, my conversation partner, Tanya Dunnett, will take dead aim on the originality, the substance, and the hope of all women from God's perspective. A quick word for the men. Even though this episode is about women, it is for everyone. The content of this show has got to be absorbed since the world and the modern-day church have greatly contributed to messing up the identity of a woman. So I greatly exhort you to stay tuned to what should be at the core of a woman. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. Only tired of fake stuff? Shouldn't we turn down a stale brand of living? It's time to open our hearts to Christ. It's time to keep it real. Here's your host, Ollie G. All right, I want to welcome everybody back to another edition of Keeping It Real and want to welcome everybody uh, to the website or invite everybody to visit the website at kirradio.com. The special guest that I have on with me here today is in large part responsible for the facelift, the revamping of the website. A lot of hard work and uh, a lot of appreciation for the time spent into it. Tanya Dunnett, welcome to uh, another episode of Keeping It Real today. We're going to be talking about uh, an issue that is very prevalent in the news or in the news cycle today. It's a, an issue that is prevalent in almost every corner or in every avenue of society right now, whether if it be in school or in our public schools, especially, or whether if it be uh, in our social issues on social media, all you know, all of these venues. And that is the issue of uh, gender. And uh, I thought this particular topic that we're going to be diving into today would be very appropriate in have discussing with you as a woman. Uh, last mm -hmm. I checked, you still identify as a woman. Yes. <laughs> and um, I don't think you're going to ever identify as anything else. Nope. So <laughs> that that's good news. Um, very proud to be a woman. I'm good. Yes. So, uh, you know, and we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture today too. That's really, I think, going to bring home for the listening audience. I mean, a lot of this may already sound elementary to folks, but uh, I believe that there has to be uh, a lot more of a grounding for Christians on this matter. Um, because I think like a lot of issues, Christians by and large don't know how to respond or to, how to handle certain issues when confronted with it or having to deal with it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and also just to also be able to help and encourage folks that are dealing with issues that are in the midst of this whole topsy-turvy issue known as gender identity. So I've entitled this show today, At the Core of a Woman. Gender identity has become all the more of this hot button issue, Tanya. And what are the most identifiable characteristics of a real woman? Now, of course, we have the physical traits that are obvious, that are given to hopefully still by and large most people, right? <laughs> Even though we've yeah. got this whole thing now of identity and people wanting to change their identity. But 
what are some of the most identifiable characteristics of what really is at the core of a woman, especially when we consider God, how he designed us as male and female all the way from the beginning in Genesis, what cite you as the most identifiable characteristics uh, of a woman? Well, for me, it's, it's the Proverbs 31 passage. And it's, you know, for anybody who maybe isn't necessarily familiar with the passage, it really outlines all of the different characteristics of um, a woman, not only in what she does physically, but also in how she is in her attitude and her posture towards what she does when it comes to taking care of her home, being a, a helpmate to her spouse being a caregiver uh, for her children. Uh, and it even talks about, um, you know, how she handles herself in her business dealings, that she is honest and she is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she does not fear. She laughs uh, in the face of, of fear. And she is virtuous and one that fears the Lord. So charm and it says charm and beauty don't last and charm is deceptive, but a woman who fears the Lord is greatly praised. So um, when I, when I think of, of how we as Christian women are supposed to represent the Lord and be, and be a light for him in this world, I think of the Proverbs 31. Okay. So you cite a, a very important biblical, uh, principle or a, a set of biblical principles that should be at the core of a woman. Uh, I wouldn't have expected otherwise, uh, you know, from you, me knowing who you are. But why is it that you think, and, and I'm kind of getting off the beaten path a little bit, but I have a follow-up question that I don't know, I just feel prompted to ask here, that mm -hmm. is in line with what, how you just responded. And that is, why is it that you think that a lot of uh, Christian women even struggle with this? Because- you know, look, well, I don't I haven't shot away from a lot of things here on this outlet is keeping it real. Uh, you know, a lot of folks know this. I've, it's been pretty much a staple or a benchmark of this podcast and on the greater network. Uh, I, I don't shy away from, uh, you know, hot button topics and how there has uh, been a virtual extinction of handling all of the various issues that that are faced are facing our culture and our society, there is a, just a very fall, much a falling short. And there's a virtual extinction of handling these things adequately. So why do you think so many women, even within the church per se, are struggling with the very things that you bring out from Proverbs 31? I think within the church environment, there has been a very clear falling away from preaching directly from the gospel. Mm -hmm. The church culture as a whole has become much more keen towards catering towards cultural pressures, societal pressures in order to appear as being more accepting and welcoming and, and desiring not to offend uh, those who maybe we're not raised in the church or don't understand biblical principles, but in, in turn are, are hurting the people who, you know, have been raised in the church and should be knowing biblical principle. And it's, it's a perversion, which, you know, is exactly what the enemy wants. He comes in and he's, you know, weaving in uh, lies with amongst the truth and it becomes really murky and muddy. 
And there's just a failure to protect the dignity of the woman that God created mm. originally with Adam and Eve. And it's just a failure on society as a whole. And I think pressure for women to feel like they have to be equal with the men and or one up to survive in certain uh, work cultures or even home cultures or or whatever the environment might be. And so they've we've completely lost sight of that because there's there's no black and white. It's just all this muddy gray. There's no difference. Yeah. So I appreciate you what you bring out as far as saying about protecting the dignity of the woman probably fair to say there's very little to know protecting the dignity of a woman, even within uh, church circles, probably correct, because we have, you describe these murky waters and everything that's going on, as I've cited uh, more than once on this podcast, uh, there's a lot, little, or there's very little to distinguish uh, what's going on in church culture from what's going on with the greater world culture at large. Now, that's not across the board in every single instance, but I'm speaking in generalities right now. That really is uh, happens to be the case. And, you know, this whole concept of what should be at the core of a woman doesn't seem to be any exception, as you point out. So why has the staying true to a woman's created nature become so difficult to understand? That now kind of takes it back a little bit further from how you responded to my follow-up question to the first question. You know, obviously God created us male and female and had this whole thing in motion, this plan in motion of how we were to procreate and have children, be fruitful and multiply, it says a few times in Genesis, right? Why is the staying true to a woman's created nature become so difficult to understand for people? It's a result of the fall, and it's been in motion since sin entered the world, since we started, since we understood um, what is good and what is evil uh, when Eve and Adam ate from the tree of knowledge. Right. And and so right from that start, the perversion and the corruption and the destruction of everything that the Lord created that was good and perfect has, has be begun to deteriorate. And again, like I mentioned in the previous question, society as a whole has worked to undo and uh, the enemy really, he is the, the king of lies. He's the father of lies. And so he takes what is perfect in what's Lord's created and creates um, a mockery of it, creates a resemblance of it, but it's it does not meet the mark. But it's just enough that it's enticing to people who don't know the truth. Okay. And and because it's all based on feeling and, you know, I should, my feelings should be uh, re uh, respected and, and considered and, you know, facts are out of the way, biology is out of the way. And it's all very emotional based and, and the heart is deceitful and wants things that are, that are not good. Right. But folks who don't have a relationship with Christ, they'll probably be a lot of folks uh, of those folks, especially involved in you know, say the LGBTQ community, or I'm running out of letters uh, that I think that that community is involved with now. But at any rate, <laughs> they will, they will say actually that biology is on their side, mm -hmm. and science. They oftentimes quote science, right? How have they been misguided into thinking that science is actually on their side when science, in reality, lines up with scripture? and walks hand in hand with the truth we find in the Bible. 
Well, there's enough people out there who who dare to say that uh, science can be relative and it's not absolute and it can change and evolution and adaptation and all those different terminologies. And it's and if and if enough people say it enough times in mm-hmm. different ways, but it kind mm-hmm. of, you know, demonstrating the same message it becomes believable and it's what it's what uh, is known as confirmation bias so if you hear enough of what you're you know what you think you should be looking for and you go to the right outlets read the right articles listen to the right people sure it makes sense because everyone's confirming what you think and and it's not enough people daring to offer an opposition in in what is in the lies that are being spread or doing it in a way that is constructive and loving and not coming off in a, in a way that's attacking. Right. So you're going to put all these people who don't know and are struggling with identity and, and, you know, and for the very reason, because they don't know the Lord and they're, and they're seeking that fulfillment from other places, but they're going to be on the defensive. And then all of a sudden they become on the offensive and their voices are louder. And so they're the ones that we hear. Yeah. Uh, very well put. I appreciate uh, your response to all of that, and especially using the phrase confirmation bias, I actually haven't heard of that before. So I've actually even learned something here on keeping it real today. Um, but uh, I really value that input because I'm actually going to use that now <laughs> somewhere along <laughs> the way. Um, because, y- you know, you talk about how which voices are louder. And a lot of times the voices that are more numerous, they're naturally going to be louder. Mm-hmm. And not only are those voices more numerous, even if the Christian voices would be heard, but Christian, there aren't enough Christian voices that are allowing themselves to be heard. And as you say, not being heard in an argumentative way, not because we could get on a debate stage all day long, and that is a serious waste of time. The issue is, is allowing our voices to be heard, but heard from the point from a place of love and the place of love is the scripture right because jesus is the one who is the word and he is love and so too too many christians historically have looked to make a point we still have some of them around that are looking to always make drive the points home the talking points home and then nothing good comes of it to advance the kingdom of god instead we need to be speaking from a place of love as you so eloquently emphasize. And I think that's helpful for the listening audience. All right. So quickly to what you're saying, element of love. So again, that word has been twisted and, and the meaning behind that love has become acceptance has become affirmation Mm -hmm. instead of lovingly calling someone out and saying what you're doing is wrong. And Mm -hmm. I love you enough to keep you from making that mistake. Right. It's not loving to tell a drug addict, I love you, but I'm going to stand here and watch you poke a needle in your arm. That's not loving them. That's Loving them them is taking the needle from their arm and driving them to the rehab center and saying, I'm not leaving you until you heal from here. So, you know, the, 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 even just the thought of love is what has changed. So now we're going to dive into this passage in John chapter 12. And I previewed you on this. Uh, This is a passage that deals with uh, a woman who came to Jesus and he came, she comes with this bottle of perfume and um, you know, the, the disciples are checking this out and, and they find it very strange, especially Judas, who's the treasurer of the group. It's a valuable bottle of perfume. It's probably all that she has. 
And it's the most valuable thing that she comes with. And she pours it on Jesus's feet. And then she does all of these other things while being in his presence in his midst. So why don't you go ahead and read that passage of scripture, John chapter 12, one through seven. And then I've got a couple of questions uh, for you as a woman in dealing with this passage that deals with a woman coming to Christ. Absolutely. Uh, just for reference, I am reading from the Life Application Study Bible, New Living Translation. So this is titled, A Woman Anoints Jesus with Perfume. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus's feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple, who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, so loaded passage. There's a lot going on here now for uh, someone that's not that used to reading the scriptures or maybe doesn't know the scriptures that well. They just see this as maybe a bit of an odd story, a pretty straightforward or simple story. It's anything but that. Okay. Yeah. Um, she comes to worship Jesus with this 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume. How do you connect you, Tanya, how do you connect with this as a woman you read this you you're looking at this you're taking it in how do you connect with this as a woman and as a daughter of god so in reading this i really i, I really focused in on the fact that she brought to him the most expensive thing that she had which you had mentioned earlier and she used it to anoint his feet um she gave him everything and and did so in a servant's posture, kneeling before him, washing his feet, and then wiping it with her hair. And when I look at that, you know, you can look at the the literal, you know, things that are going on within this passage. But for me, it represents as a daughter of Christ and as a woman of God, how I'm supposed to not only come before the Lord in humility and servitude, but also how I'm supposed to be to my brothers and sisters in the faith, how I'm supposed to be to my spouse, how I'm supposed to be to the strangers on the street. Mm -hmm. I am supposed to come with a heart of, of a servant's heart and, and giving everything that I have, even if that's $5 in my wallet to buy you know, the homeless man outside the door, something to eat. That may be all I have that day or all I can offer, but that's what I give. Mm -hmm. and, and and Mary did so without asking permission, without caring what anybody else thought. All she saw was Jesus. And she saw her teacher. She saw her master. She saw her friend, her savior. And that's who she came to serve that day. Now, as, 
as a man, I'm going to come at this a couple of ways. <laughs> I mean, I know the show's called At the Core of a Woman, and primarily this is about, you know, your insight and your uh, perspectives on, you know, how, what is at the core of a woman, or at least what should be, and how so much of that has missed the mark, as you cited, not only from the, from the time of the fall, but all throughout history, and especially in our current time, it's really been magnified. Uh, mm -hmm. The whole, uh, what's at the core of a woman has just been lost. It's in this murky water, as you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Two things I want to come at this from a man, okay? A lot of men have this perspective of it's got to be all or nothing, right? At least I do. You know, it's like, it's either got to be, you know, I'm all in or I'm not... If, if I'm the water's really cold, I'm going all in and I don't care, or I'm not going in at all. I'm not just sticking my toe in the water. Okay. Yeah. And one thing I notice is she comes with a 12 ounce bottle of this perfume. How much of those 12 ounces went on his feet? All of it. All of it. She didn't half step this. She didn't just dump out six ounces or I'm just going to go with most, but I'm going to keep a little back. She dumped it all out. That's That's number one. Number two, reading in Frank Viola's book, uh, The Day I Met Jesus, which actually is an account. There are five different chapters in that book, and there are accounts of five different women in the scriptures mm -hmm. that are not as highlighted as other women like Esther or Ruth or folks like that. One of the women he cites is this woman. She's in the presence of other people in a house. Now, it was not uncommon for strangers to walk into a house back then. It was actually very common. People walked into each other's houses all the time. They were not private places to be like they are today, okay? So it wasn't strange for this woman to come into a house where Jesus was. What was strange is how she poured this bottle of perfume on his feet in the presence of other people, many men, including his disciples. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't care. She doesn't care how this looks. She could probably feel the judgmental stares coming at her. You could probably cut that tension with a knife. And she doesn't care. She's pouring it all out. Even Judas, at least from what we have in this passage, is very vocal on like, how is this taking place? Lord, why are you allowing this to take place? This shouldn't be taking place. We should could have given this to the poor. Why is she pouring this on your feet? Probably the dirtiest part of his body. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because what did they wear back then? Sandals. And they didn't have these nightly, nicely paved roads. You know, they didn't have it asphalted and all of this stuff. They are trudging around in dirt all day long in sandals. So their feet are very dirty. And she pours this, you know, nice expensive bottle perf perfume on the dirtiest part of his body, physically speaking. Okay. Usually it's the host of the house that would offer to wash or have the, the feet of his guests washed. And that yes. didn't happen. He wasn't no. even host and offered to do that, which is another big deal. Okay. So a very big deal. So there's all kinds of things going on here yet. And we haven't even gotten to the half of it. Okay. Because <laughs> I've got now another question I want to ask on this. All right. Because there's all kinds of things going on here. And to the untrained eye, again, they just, they're not going to understand. They just look at this passage, go, oh, how beautiful. A woman came and she worshiped the Lord. Well, it's far from that simple. Okay. So 
the Bible says Mary wiped his feet now with her hair. What is the significance of the hair? How might most people, especially men, not fully comprehend the hows or the whys and how she wiped or cleaned his feet with her hair? A woman's hair was her like glory. It was long and beautiful and taken care of. And it was a lot of what defined her outward beauty. And it was kind of like her, her prize. And the fact that she took, again, something so valuable to her identity, at least within the society, and used it to do something so lowly as if washing the dirtiest part of a man's, well, anybody's body, but this yeah. man's feet, uh, she took that and allowed it to be to be dirtied because she came to him in, in a posture of reverence and humility and servitude. That's a big deal. She could have taken a cloth. She could have taken the edge of her apron. She could have taken the end, end of her dress, but instead she took- You stole the point right from me. And this yeah. is evidence yeah. to our listening audience that we haven't rehearsed this. We didn't hash this out. None of that, okay? None of these episodes are like that. They are really spontaneous. I mean, the subject matter, we know what we're gonna talk about and whatever, but as far as the nuts and bolts, the Lord takes this where he takes it. And that is the point that I was going to make as a, from the perspective of a man. What's a man going to generally do? He's going to grab a cloth. He might take part of his tunic back then, right? And wash a part of his body, maybe his feet. I don't know. But what was so amazing to me is that while a man wouldn't be that unordinary for him to be on his hands and knees, because that's how he would work a lot of times, here, a woman is willing to go, as you mentioned so earlier, to go lowly, to go on her hands and knees, and then not just on her hands and knees to worship, to just kneel there, but then to take the very part that was on the top of her and to bring it to the lowest part of the living Lord and worship, have that expression of worship of him in that way. So there are a number of things going on here, and I hope that the listening audience is starting to grab a hold of this because worship, it's not some, you know, status quo, let's just trudge into a building and let's just have a time of worship and we get our happy, good, go lucky feeling, you know, we get the warm fuzzies and we go home and we say, oh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. The worship was great. Well, it it just doesn't even scratch the surface. It just doesn't even come anywhere near the ballpark of what worship should really look like a lot of times. And here is an instance of how worship really looked like. And this is why the Lord looked upon her and this instance so favorably. So we're kind of getting close to running out of time. I want to get a couple more questions in. Okay. I've made a reference now to the modern day church. Okay. And how a lot of it's fallen short. How have they contributed in the ways of really the demise of what should be at the core of a woman and then what should be at a woman's core? What's What would have been the contributions, if any, there? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the church as a whole, in an attempt to appease society and, and different trends and things that are going on, have really failed to stand apart okay. and say, no. But what I mean is, is like, could you cite anything specifically? Like the earlier question was more in generality. Can you pinpoint something like, here is one example. Here's an instance of how there has been this 
this falling away, there has been this appeasement towards uh, this issue that we're talking about. Messages we're hearing from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and, and pastors failing to, to stick with biblical truth. Okay. So it's a lot of uh, maybe social club messages that are given. And yeah, it's feel good. God loves you just the way you are. You don't need to change instead of being like, no, you need to be convicted about what you're doing that's right or what's wrong and change those things. Because the goal isn't to live the great life here. It's to look with an eternal perspective and an eternal grace and not in the moment. Uh-huh. All right. So I've got one final question for you. Okay. And I know that this kind of can hit home close to you because you deal with youth. Uh, you're a speech by top pathologist by trade. I've mentioned that before when we've had you on here on the Keeping It Real podcast and you deal with young people and you love dealing with young people. Uh, let's suppose that uh, a teenage girl you know, approaches you. You get into connecting with a teenage girl. Can you provide a biblically sound approach in handling a teenage girl or a, a young woman's struggle with staying true or getting back to being true with what should be at that young woman's core or at that girl's core. And I I think the approach is is probably slightly different, whether or not the young girl um, has a Christian upbringing and biblical understanding versus one that doesn't. Uh, So really to handle it more on a general basis, it's, it's, it's meeting that young woman where she is in that moment and understanding maybe at the core, as we've talked about this, what is at the root of the problem and trying to help kind of unpack uh, what's underneath what we're seeing on the surface and then addressing addressing those issues. A young girl could be feeling questions because she's been made fun of. You know, she might be more of a tomboy and people have called her boyish or called her more masculine. And she's questioning things like that instead of someone celebrating like, you know, you're really great at sports or you're more athletically minded. And and um, or even, you know, what's the situation at home? Has this young woman suffered some kind of abuse that's that's led to um a dysphoria, a misunderstanding, a misalignment of, of her purpose and her and her worth right. and taking it from there and then expanding, you know, bringing bringing a biblical passage in, you know, that God does not make mistakes. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and you were made for a time such as this. And God, God has made you specifically for a purpose that has nothing to do with anybody else says. Um and and just doing so in a gentle but firm and and loving way, not in affirming, but in a loving way of, of speaking the truth. Mm. And you know, to piggyback off of that purpose that you mentioned, you know, there's no greater desire that God has than for somebody to step into a personal relationship with Him. And if anybody out there is listening and is not sure how that's done, it's very simple. You just simply confess your sin. All of those things that go against God, um, we don't need to spell it out for you. You probably pretty much already know what they are, but confessing your sin to the Lord, asking him to forgive you of all of that sin and ask you to make him or ask him to make you a new person, believing that that is the very reason why he died on the cross. When that happens, you become a child of God and uh, your life begins to change. And if you have any other uh, questions or inquiries, which you are bound to have, uh, we certainly encourage you to reach out to this outlet. You can get onto KIRradio.com 
and uh, you know send an email request uh, asking any questions or any inquiries that you may have. Uh, Tanya, thanks for being on the show again today. Uh, appreciate you having on uh, having you on. It was a, a, a blast, but also a very substantive show today, uh, as they all are. Again, thanks for your work with the website and everything you do for KIR. And again, I encourage everyone to check out all uh, so much new and dynamic stuff at KIRradio.com. And there's more that will be coming in the coming weeks, uh, blog and articles, uh, updates on, on the website. Uh, it's been totally revamped, which is great. Uh, so at the core of the woman, <laughs> and if you have questions, further questions about this show, we also ask that you'd hit us up as well. <laughs>